it depends on the individual who's at that yeah. top. Are they willing to release control of the decision-making power and then how much? And there are a couple of delegate, and so delegation, it comes down to delegation, but to be able to delegate properly, you kind of need to have trust yes. in your people yes, and clarity. Uh, so lots of communication back and forth. And uh... Welcome to the Audacious Living Podcast, hosted by my man, Audley Stevenson, the odd man. He'll unpack wisdom and insights from a cross-section of top quality performers in business, media, sports, entertainment, and lifestyle to uncover key elements to help you live your best audacious life ever. So without further ado, here is The Odd Man. Greetings and salutations, folks. It's Audley Stevenson, and we're back for another edition of the most audacious podcast the internet has to offer. This is the Audacious Living Podcast, and uh, I appreciate you for being here as we continue our ongoing goal of helping our listeners live their best audacious lives ever uh, as always i encourage you to follow us on our social media channels twitter instagram and facebook or you can subscribe to our youtube channel by tapping that bell down below ding 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 and that way you're connected to all great things audacious related now i've got leadership consultant and trainer jerry dugan joining me on this edition of the audacious podcast and and i'll tell you one of the topics we'll be touching on over the course of our conversation will be the power of being a servant leader and the tremendous impact it can have on those you are leading. You know, arguably one of the best examples of servant leadership is located right in the scriptures where, where Jesus can be found washing the feet of his disciples. Now, let that sink in for a moment. We're talking about a man who lived his life engaging people in a way, uh, he served them in such a way that their lives changed simply by encountering with him. Uh, you know, he was a servant because he dedicated his life to setting people free. Uh, you know, we've got other great examples of pe from people in history, individuals like Abraham Lincoln, Martin Luther King Jr., and Mother Teresa. Fast forward today to today, and there's a bevy of ways that we can demonstrate servant leadership beyond just washing people's feet. And we'll, we'll certainly touch on all of that in my talk with Jerry. It's a fun chat that I'm sure you'll all enjoy. So without any further ado, here's my conversation with... Here's my conversation with Jerry Dugan. Enjoy. Hey, Jerry, uh, thank you for hanging out here with me on the uh, Day Living Podcast. Uh, pleasure to spend some time with you today. Uh, same here, Oddly. Thanks for getting up early in the morning. Uh, <laughs> unless you're listening to us or watching us late at night, then thanks for getting up late at night to do this with me, Oddly. <laughs> As I, I just appreciate anyone who wants to come and hang out with me what time, regardless of what time of day. Thank you for being here. <laughs> Oh man, yeah. This is like kind of fun thing about podcasting. Probably almost addictive. Like, yeah, you just love talking with people. And before you know it, you've got like a backlog of interviews that need to go up. Uh, that, that's my situation. I've got. It's only February in 2023 yep. when we're recording this. Yep. And I'm booked through like August, and wow. I have enough episodes to go into November. And my wife's Amazing. like, "Why?" And I'm like, "I love talking with people. Yeah. Great people. <laughs> we may have to go to a daily show." She's like, "I don't have time for a daily show." I, I, I will tell you. Um, when I started, I'm like, hey, let's let's do a weekly podcast. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, okay, cool. 
And I started doing this thing weekly and to you, to, you know, similar to you, like I just started getting backed up and then, you know, so, so all of a sudden, so like, so let's say, you know, someone wants to come on the podcast to promote a book. They want to promote the book now, not three months from now when I can finally get the interview up. And I, I, I switched and said, look, let's just pump them out any, as, as quickly as we can, how, you know, and if I'm busier doing other stuff and it'll slow down, but if I can get them out, that's my commitment to get them out. And so yeah. sometimes I'll do two weeks, sometimes I'll do three weeks, a little four weeks, like oh, just, wow. to, nice. just, so just, just to, just, just to, just to get the content. That's what I get. I mean, why, why am I, key? it's meant for the world generally. So I might as well share it with the world. Right. There you go. <laughs> you, you might be the inspiration I need to actually kick this up uh, another notch. Uh, I, do one, I do one guest interview a week and then I have a solo episode like on a Thursday Yeah. and I'm kicking around the idea of like Monday, Wednesday, Friday, uh, still have that one solo episode, but then two guest interviews a week. A uh, yeah. little, little more work, you know. It's yeah. three times the work. <laughs> listen, listen yeah. there's, there's, there's no question that it is about work. I'm not saying what I do is easy or time consuming. It, it man, it's it's all those things. But yeah. you do what you do because you love what you do, and that's why you do it, right? Yeah. So there we go. And, and uh, chances are the same thing for you. Uh, there, I get. I know when I do interviews, either as the guest or as the host. Yep. I grow from that interaction. Uh, yeah. There, there's there's never an instance I don't walk away with just one thing, right? And so right. I, I I always do, and I appreciate it. And, I, and so I mean, as much as it's for others, I I think I'm winning. I'm winning over and over again. So there we go. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> so now that we got podcasting 101 out of the way, uh, uh, it's, it's great to have you here on the Audacious Living Podcast. I really, um, again, I, I I value the conversation. I need the conversations around you know self development and, and getting better uh, at what we do or what we do whether it be personally or professionally I, I think it's all key stuff you spent a lot of time jerry with leaders helping them grow to that better place and understanding the significance of impact and yeah. so maybe as, as a starting point if you could elaborate further on the, the work you do and, and and how you get leaders to that point of recognizing their impact yeah this is actually kind of a field i fell into uh not realizing i had a passion for it uh my mom always wanted me to be a doctor yeah growing up get good grades in school, son, be the top in your class, go be a doctor, go be an officer in the army. Yes. Uh, she's from Thailand. So her exposure to Americans at that time was all the rich Americans are officers in the army. That's where <laughs> you need to go. And I'm like, okay, mom. Um, I'm there. Yeah. I realized at age 27 after uh, barely graduating from college with like a 2.1 GPA, yeah. uh, having served in the army as a medic, as a sergeant, uh, and now working in the civilian world as a, uh, what was my job? Education coordinator. So I was okay. doing orientation for new employees at a Catholic healthcare organization, nonprofit organization. And they're ready to send me off to nursing school. Like they had a plan for me, you know, we'll send you to nursing school. You work with us as a nurse, but you also work with us as a nurse educator because we want somebody in their twenties and thirties who can connect with our younger generation of nurses. Yeah. And I was like, cool. Um, and then, you know, if you want to go to med school, we'll pay for that. And then you'll do the same thing for doctors. You'll be that right. young doctor who can connect with young doctors. I'm like, okay, good. Uh, so they recognized they had like a teaching heart. And, um, but when they told me it was time to, to pick a nursing school, I hesitated and they picked up on that right away. And they said, okay, figure out what you want to do. We're fully supportive of it. Um, you know, either way, but chances are you probably don't want to be a nurse. You probably don't want to work at the patient bedside. I'm like, yeah, let me think about that. And it turns out they were right. Uh, all these years, I really- Sorry, Jerry, so, sorry, Jerry, I need to, that is such a significant point where you're stopping and like 
going, wait a second, because, you know, it, it's one thing to have a plan for your life, right? But to revisit that plan midstream, stop, course correct, and go in a totally different direction. I, again, I, it, it, I didn't mean to interrupt, but I, I had to because okay. it's such it's such a significant point and key for all of us, not just in a, in a professional world, but even our, our personal lives. Yeah. You know, we pursue what we think is success. Yes. We really dig deeper. You know, why do we feel stuck in life? Chances are we're following somebody else's definition or somebody else's dream for success and not for what we were created to do. Yeah. And, and that's, that's what I ran into. And I was probably about 28, 29 years old when that hit me like a ton of bricks. And I realized, well, I've got college debt and I almost died in combat all because I was pursuing my mom's dream to be a right. doctor, not my own. Right. Right. <laughs> so, right. It's a good thanks, point. Thanks, mom. <laughs> <laughs> uh, she so, gave you I life, mean, but almost gave you death. Right. Yeah. And, uh, yeah what was it? Uh, I, I put, I brought you in the world. I could take you out. That's right. She had her ways. <laughs> uh, but, you know, it turns out years later, my wife kind of also recognized the same thing. I had this heart for teaching and doing training and development. And, Specifically, what I loved doing was leadership training, leadership development, um, helping emerging leaders make that transition from being an individual contributor to being a leader. Two different skill sets. We usually, especially in healthcare, but it's really any industry, we get recognized to be a leader and promoted into a leadership role because we are good at our job. Making widgets, serving patients, serving customers, making sales, whatever it is. And then we get thrown into this other arena and it's a whole different ball of wax. It's interpersonal dynamics, it's communication skills, creating and casting a vision, um, leading in a way that's authentic, leading people in a way that is people driven and human centered um, and value centered versus, you know, we just gotta get things done and, and see a lot of leaders in their first 12 months just fall by the wayside, get yeah. fired, and you know, never go into leadership again. And these are people who had a lot of great potential. They just weren't taught how. And then you have those leaders who somehow got through their entire careers being toxic, abusive, manipulative. Yeah, right. And they also hit a, a rut in their careers where uh, they only go up to a certain level and they either right. hold on to that fiefdom and create a toxic environment or they bounce from organization to organization at the same yes. level, never yes. really moving up. Yes. And uh, it just kind of hit me somewhere in the last 15 years that I really love the idea of servant leadership. And uh, when I say it, you know, if you're in the Christian circles, you're like, oh, yeah, it's like Jesus. You wash people's feet. Right, right. Jerry, if you wash people's feet in the office, don't you get like a call from HR? <laughs> yes, you probably would. <laughs> if you literally wash people's feet, yes. Yeah. <laughs> don't do that. No. But metaphorically, you know, there are things that, you know, Jesus did that give examples of servant leadership. You know, he, yes. he got beneath yes. the level of his employees, his disciples, uh, beneath their feet, basically. And he yes. washed them. He took care of their feet so that they could stand up. He equipped them and sent them off to go do ministry. And, you know, if they failed, he just re-equipped them and sent them back out. Uh, if he had to admonish them, he would, but he picked them right back up. He was always about restoring his people, sending them forth, because he was probably the ultimate special forces leader. Like, I thought I'd hold all my... Uh, cut that, cut that. <laughs> no worries. No worries. <laughs> and, and so, anyway, uh, like, he built his people up. He gave them room to fail. He would admonish yep. them. 
but he picked them back up and sent them out. And before I even became a Christian, I got exposed to that when I was in the army. Mm. Uh, the idea that Simon Sinek made popular that leaders eat last. Um, yeah. You know, people are wowed by that. But for me, that was yeah. that's how leaders are. You know, right. um, you, you send your soldiers through the chow line first. Why? Because you take care of their, their most basic needs on the Maslow hierarchy, yes. uh, food, shelter, clothing. And from there, you start making them feel that they belong, that they matter. And then you start trusting them with missions and responsibilities. And before you know it, leading people becomes easy because they're equipped. They trust you. You consistently tell them what you expect. And they go forth knowing that you've got their back. You're not going to throw them under the bus. You're, you're going to put them up in, in the spotlight when they succeed. And it's not about you. It's about their success. And when you make it that way as a, as a leader, it, it just the synergy that comes from that, the innovation, the creativity, the the, the longevity of careers, the, the growth of careers just outperforms anybody else. So mm -hmm. I get excited about that. It turns out I've got a coaching heart within me. Uh, Myers Briggs says so. <laughs> I understand. <laughs> the assessment, if you don't know it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I mean, that that's kind of where I landed, and for the last yeah, fifteen plus years, almost two decades. Um, I, I like to say in fifteen because it it makes me sound young, but still experienced. <laughs> it is closer to twenty. But I hear you. I'm not ready. Yeah, we that. we don't need to put it out there. No, it's okay. <laughs> I get it. I get it. So so uh, 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 Jerry, thanks. So thanks thanks for that background, and and what I love about that. So we all have a a, a background background story that gets us to where we're at and, and it's all funny there, there's an expression i heard you know we, we you know life makes so much sense life is like life is um i don't know i always mess this up life is an art when you live it forward but when you stop and look back it's a science and you can see where all your experiences where they fed into it and why you need to do certain things to go to other places and so whether it be your military background or going to the point where hey i don't want to be a nurse understanding yourself to be able to make that kind of decision those all help feed into who we are and where we are right now because ultimately life is really a collection of experiences right yeah oh yeah I remember um, that that undergrad experience I had, um, you know, where I barely graduated with a 2.1. I was being recruited for that school as a tuber performance major, um, and so I figured I, I was a shoe in anyway. I'm getting into that school. I played tuba. They're gold. You, you didn't realize I passed up on a full ride scholarship, changing majors, but gotcha. It's okay. <sighs> In the moment, it made sense. In the moment, it made sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but, you know, it came time to do the application, and I hadn't done the application yet. Well, it turns out I'm in an honors band. The band director was brought in from Stockton, California. It turns out he's the band director or director of bands for University of the Pacific. That's the school I wanted to go to. And he just happened to notice my application hadn't come across the admissions team desk yet. And he's like, hey, Jerry, have you submitted your application yet? And I was like, no he's like jerry the deadline is this friday you're in rehearsals with me all day every day until we perform on friday and he's looking at his watch as if there's mm -hmm. a calendar on there right right and he's like you need to fill this out if you want to go and i'm like oh man um the application's at home though and he goes that's fine and he pulls out like the application in his pocket and he goes <laughs> fill that out during lunch today uh mail it off the post office is right down here on the street like this wasn't oh, even our town yeah <laughs> we were both yeah. out of town for this and uh he's like yeah fill it out i'll check in on you well all that to land the plane there's an essay okay and the question was if you could change anything in your past 
what would it be and why, and what would the outcome be by making that change? And I thought about that, and it was just like you said, everything that we are today is that culmination of everything we've experienced and learned. Yes. Uh, and so that was my response. And, and I, you know, at 18 years old, filling out this application at the last minute because of procrastination, um, I wrote, I would change nothing. None mm -hmm. of the trials I've experienced, uh, the trauma I'd experienced as a kid, uh, none of the strictness of my mom, um, none of my friend groups, none of that would change because all that made me realize that I want to live a life that I'm always striving to be better than I was yesterday. Um, I want to live up to my family motto by virtue and valor. And I want to change my family tree, uh, one that is, you know, rooted in poverty and victim mentality. And I want to shift that mindset for anybody with the last name Dugan. Um, and that means even procrastinating on this essay, because if I had not procrastinated on this essay for this application, I would not have come to that same conclusion about my own life. Mm. Uh, thank you for the opportunity. I'd love to, to be on the grounds of University of the Pacific. And I, I packaged it, I mailed it, I told my friends what I wrote, and they're like, you didn't. I was like, <laughs> I did. <laughs> and they're like, why would you do that? I'm like, well, I really don't wanna be anywhere where I have to be somebody who's not me. Mm. And if I have to put on a mask to be around you, yep. I don't want to be around you. Yep. And, um, and that, you know, goes as far back as when I was 18 years old, if not younger. And here I am on an application, to, you know, at that time, yep. the thing yep. that would change my life forever. Yep. And here I am saying, yes, I procrastinated on this application. Here's the benefit from doing so. Yeah, I got in. <laughs> that is funny. That is funny. But no, I, I can see where, um, that authentic, genuine response, like you, like it, 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 it's it, they're impactful because they matter, and, and we'll, we'll get into sort of the impact in the leadership context in a second. But I think when we can be authentic and we can, you know, keep it real and 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 just you know be ourselves, I think that's where you'll always have the the biggest impact. Um, I've got to ask, as far as your leadership journey goes, how did the your your military background influence that? Oh, big time. Um because the military is really big on leadership from day one, you okay. know, in basic training. Uh, and, you don't, and you don't have to be in a leadership position. No. That's right? The, that's, that, I think yeah. that's an important point. It's huge. Like, you know, the military is known for its rank structure. You got your general yes. all the way yes. down to your lowest yes. private, um, what we call the E, I owe you one because you don't have anything on your collars. I owe you something on your collars <laughs> when you make E2. Uh, and But even at that lowest level of E1, among the E1s, there is this expectation to lead each other. So mm. whoever's in that role the longest, whoever's been in the Army the longest, is expected to step up and lead in the absence of a non-commissioned officer or the absence of an officer. And to do that, there are certain things that are standing rules no matter what. Like we have our three general orders of guard duty. Uh, and I'll quote the first one, which is, I will guard everything within the limits of my post and only quit my post when properly relieved. Uh, meaning, this is my assignment. I will execute everything in the or instructions for my assignment until somebody of the appropriate rank and structure and with the appropriate orders relieves me and takes over my assignment. Um, or my commander comes forward and says, hey, mission accomplished, go right, home. Right, we're done. Uh, 
those are the only two times you're properly relieved. Uh, and so that means you you hold down the fort. So those like war movies where like people are hold down like Pegasus Bridge or they keep pushing on D-Day, uh, th that's that standing order. Like my mission is to get here no matter what until somebody relieves me. Um, and there's only certain ways you can be relieved. So that instills this sense of duty. The other thing is your leader, before you go on a patrol, before you go on a mission, um, they give what's called the commander's intent. So why are we even going on this mission? That's the commander's intent. Uh, because there's this belief that no plan ever survives first contact with the enemy. The real world is out there. You can plan for every possible variable. Right. The moment you put your plan in action, there's a variable that comes out of the woodwork. Maybe it's your competition adapting to your plan. Maybe it's a variable you weren't even aware of until you executed and got that clarity. Whatever it is, uh, it's like Mike Tyson said, right? You're like everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face. <laughs> it's the same thing. Uh, and so to have everybody at the lowest level equipped and empowered through a commander's intent, through their general standing orders, can take charge and execute the mission, keep everybody alive and bring as many people home as possible. And so that's instilled really through basic training. Everybody gets an opportunity to lead. Um, you, you hear drill sergeants yelling at everybody on the yes. first couple of weeks of training. And so when you get that student leadership role, you think that's exactly how you lead as well. And they immediately yell at you and say, no, that's not how you really lead. This is how you really lead. You make sure everybody's up. You make every, sure everybody's had a shower, a shave, uh, that they're physically fit, that they've had their food. Uh, make sure they're all accounted for. Don't leave anybody behind. Never leave anybody behind. If somebody right. split off from the main group, you better know where they are uh, because you may have to go get them. And that that idea of constant vigilance over your team, where mm -hmm. every individual is, uh, what the overall mission is, all that from day one is instilled. Wow. And, and for four and a half years, it was a four-year enlistment. Uh, yeah. George Bush gave me an extra six months uh, <laughs> to go invade a country. And, uh, Thanks, George. Yeah, it was, <laughs> no extra charge, Jerry. We'll, we'll let you go. I'm like, ah. <laughs> Leave it throwing combat pay tax free. Okay, fine. Uh, do I have a choice? Not really. I'm no. get um, so it's just that, that expectation that you, you set a good example. Uh, mm -hmm. You be the good example. You expect others to, to also live up to that standard. Uh, and you always heard another phrase you could always add to the standard. You can never take away from the standard. Mm, that's a good point. And so it's it's just that, you know, that's the minimum. The standard is always just the minimum. And yes. um, if you want to really do well, succeed, you go above and beyond that. Yeah. So, yeah. That, uh, again, those are great points. And knowing that that that's what you are 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 picking up right from day one, like that's just and and it's ingrained, right? It's ingrained into how the manual operation, which. If you're not familiar, it's, it's one of these things where it's like you're 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 getting a lesson about no, you, you know you're you're getting those tricky lessons where no one's telling you it's a lesson, but it is a lesson. Yes, you know I, I think of the the Karate Kid, right? Wax on, wax off. Like oh, I, <laughs> oh, right. So it's the same kind of idea. But um, uh, uh, so we, so when you, you take what you learn and move that into sort of the leadership sphere, the traditional leadership sphere. You know that's where these things kind of come to you, right? And that's where you're yeah. like, oh, I've got to think about others' needs first, right? It's not command and control. It's more about how do we collectively move forward as a group. And so uh, I love that. In your conversations with leaders as you're um, 
working with them, I, I guess I'm wondering, is it, is it a difficult conversation to have these days? And I say these days only knowing that there's been a shift in our leadership is defined and structured. And I know for many people, their leadership, their understanding of leadership is how they experience or define it themselves. So I view leadership the way I experience it to be. And I'm, so I'm wondering, as you're, as you're working with individuals, what that's like, because people are bringing their own stuff to the table, right? Yeah. Yeah. And it depends on the individual uh, and as well as the culture of the organization. So you mm -hmm. have uh, some organizations that really, no matter what you do, really have this culture of micromanagement. No decision uh, is really made until the top leadership makes that decision. Right. And, and this is even in large organizations. And uh, until those executive leaders are ready to let go of ownership of decision making power, they're not going to get past the micromanagement and uh, you know what's the result of micromanagement people do the bare minimum to get that paycheck they yes. don't offer up solutions and, and you see the frustration in these meetings like we got this problem our sales our market share whatever it is is stuck yep. here yep we all agree we want to grow because that's what keeps us employed especially during an economic downturn this is where we yes. thrive however we're at risk of not and uh, what do we want to do and if you have nothing but crickets that is a strong indicator that the leaders higher than that group have established the sense of, well, no one really decides except the top anyway. My ideas don't matter because they're going to do their own thing anyway. I just heard my leader talk for an hour why his idea or her idea was better than my two-minute pitch. Right, right. And any of those examples, it, it that senior leader has got to have a little heart check. Like, and you know, if nothing changes, what's the impact on the organization? And you know, until they have that self-awareness and that realization that they're holding on too tightly to the decision-making, there's nothing I can really do for them. Right. Uh, now, on the flip side, I've worked with leaders at the director level, executive level that realize, wow, I hold on too tightly. That's why nobody speaks up in my meetings. And it, it, it's a process for them because the, their whole career, that's how they were told to lead. It worked for them in the short term. But now they're seeing that the, in the long term, in a very fluid market, especially post-pandemic, where people have choices. Um, I think recently I, I lost an entire team to double salaries that I couldn't match, essentially. Mm -hmm. you know, it's, uh, that's what got them to look up. Like, wow, for the work I'm doing now, I can do less work. It paid double if I go over here. All right, what is Jerry offering me? And what can Jerry offer me? And right, like, right. And I'm like, what can I offer? Like, there isn't much. We're a lean organization. This is where I used to work. Yep, yep. And, um, and, and I just had to accept they're going to leave because I can't offer anything other than my quirky, charming personality. <laughs> they're, 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 it was a good thing. I think I felt good, though, because they were all in a position where they were in demand. You know, people yes. wanted them. Yep. They, they could talk to their field. They could command double salary. Uh, one of them is on a trajectory to be in a leadership role. Amazing. And I'm like, I helped be a part of that. They brought it. It was all them. But I got to be a part of that. And does that mean I start over? Yeah. You know, and and uh, and that's what, what I was looking at before I realized, you know what? I want to start a business of my own. Let's do that. Let's write a book. Let's, let's do my own thing for a little bit. Right. Um, so that's, yeah. So all that to say. It depends on the individual who's at that okay. top. Are they willing to release control of the decision-making power? And then how much? And there are a couple of delegate. And so delegation, it comes down to delegation, but to be able to delegate 
properly. You kind of need to have trust yes. in your people yes. and clarity. Uh, so lots of communication back and forth. And um, Fierce Conversations, Fierce Inc. has a really cool model. They use a tree. And yep. I can't go into too much depth because it's like proprietary for them. Yep. But essentially, you got four levels. Okay. Um, and it's all on uh, a conversation about decision-making um, levels, I guess okay. you could say. Okay. okay. So, you know, any leader can can have this conversation with an employee about all the different responsibilities. So it's not just overall, you're at this level always. It's like, you know, for this project, you're at the lowest level for decision-making. Or gotcha. this area of responsibility, you're at the highest level. So the lowest level is kind of like, you're the you're the tag along. So uh, in Fierce, they call it uh, trunk, you're like the trunk of a tree. You're deeply rooted. No, 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 it's root, sorry, root. So you're deeply rooted. Uh, you don't get a whole lot of movement. Um, you're not noticed, you're not seen. Right. You don't right. fly around. Uh, so you're essentially just at the side of your leader. Your leader's doing all the talking, all the negotiating, all the decision-making. You get to be a fly on the wall and see out those interactions. Right. That's the lowest That's level. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the trade-off is twofold. One, you get to see how leaders are interacting with each other. And yep. by seeing that dynamic, you're like, oh, this is how they talk with each other. <laughs> this is the kind of information they're looking for. Yes. This makes so much more sense why they ask me for these reports or why they ask for yes. these things yes. a certain way yep. or this kind of timing. Like you understand the why. It gives context. Exactly. Yeah. And so that's the first benefit of just being the fly on the wall. The second benefit is I'm now being exposed to other people. So even though I'm not on any project, I have no responsibilities whatsoever, the, the chief finance officer knows that Jerry Dugan exists now. Yes. The, the COO now knows I exist. The, the CEO may know I exist now. That my VP or my executive leader trusted me so much that he or she brought me along just to sit in the room and, and just demonstrates that level of, of trust. Uh, the second from lowest is trunk. And that's sort mm -hmm. of like the... Uh, on the job training in a sense. It's the, uh, if, if you're thinking about like crawl, walk, run okay. type of progression, yep. this is like the crawl phase. Like okay. Okay. here's, here's your project, your area of responsibility. These are the kinds of decisions you need to make before you execute on any of your decisions. You're making the decisions, but before you execute on those decisions, come to me, Let's walk through those decisions. Let's walk through the rationale. Let's walk through any pain points that might arise because of your decision. And together, we'll help hone in on a decision that you think will be the best solution for what we're working on. How does that sound? And the employee says, yeah, that'd be awesome. Right, so right, right, it's right. it's different from give me a recommendation. It's Because gotcha. recommendation, I have no skin in the game. It's like, well, right. you should do this. You should do this. You should yeah. do this. Take it or leave it. But when you tell me I got to decide... Yes. Like, oh, shoot, my name is on this now. Let me let me do the due diligence. Yeah, thing. yeah. Well, you're part of the process, right? Yeah, yeah. So the next level up is now where I get a little bit more freedom. I get to make the decisions. I get to execute on the decisions. But I immediately go to my boss and say, this is what I just did. And that way, if it's spot on, thumbs up. Good to go. If it was like, uh-oh, we can have a conversation right then and there. And then I get to make another decision of, okay, how do I fix the thing I just screwed up? Uh, 
but it's mine. Like I got to make the decision. I got to execute. I get to deal with the aftermath or the benefits. Right. <laughs> and, and then there's a little bit more protection involved there. Like if things go well, my boss puts me in the spotlight and says, look, ta-da, they did great. Uh, if there's a, a goof, my boss is helping me kind of mitigate the loss or the risk, uh, but is not throwing me under the bus. Oh, that failed because of Jerry. It's like, oh, yeah, we, we had a hiccup. Uh, Jerry's actually working on it right now, and he's going to bring it out into this, this better light. And so even in like a mess up, a servant leader is lifting you back up, managing yes, you up, yes, and yes. putting in the spotlight of, yeah, we had this problem. Jerry's going to fix it. And uh, so that they call that uh, branch. So okay. it's like, okay. yep. you're, you're kind of branching out. You're doing Makes sense. Yep. And then fierce, they're, they're top level where you hope to get people to, and this is yes. like, they're ready for the next level is when you get them to what they call leaf because okay. sometimes leaves well, detach yes. and fly away. And yes, I guess fertilize the world. I don't know. It's <laughs> there's, there's a whole analogy behind it. Uh, but the idea <laughs> there is it, this is my baby. Um, I get to run around. I get to make improvements. I get to make decisions. Yes. I don't have to go to my boss on a regular basis. Right. But every so often on a consistent uh, cadence, I give my boss an update. Hey, this is the project that you gave me. Uh, I'm three weeks into it. This is where I am. These are the decisions I've made. I do have a critical decision point coming up in four weeks where I do need your right. input. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah. It's like it is yours 100%. It's almost as if you got a department within a department kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. So, almost, yeah. almost kind of like a mentoring type of relationship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. like you're using delegation uh, in multiple ways. Uh, you're lightening your own load as a leader <laughs> because <laughs> in the long run, uh, these guys are running around doing scheduling, payroll, yes. Yes. Uh, accounts receivable, accounts payable, uh, major projects are off your plate. So now I can take vacation as a leader. I'm like, yes. I could take a two week vacation. Yes. Everything's going to be fine. Uh, the only thing I have to do myself is maybe approve paychecks on the Friday, the last day of my vacation or in the middle, whatever it is. Um, I don't have to micromanage anybody. I, they, they can make decisions on their own during the workday. If I'm in four or five meetings back to back, I don't have to worry about my team because I know right. they can make decisions on their own that when they get hit with a curveball a fire to put out. Yep. They know because of my intent, my clarity, they always know my intent because of this delegation model. They know their level of decision-making um, responsibility or allowance. Yep. And because that clear, open communication and that trust that they can make a mistake and I'm not going to throw them under the bus for it. Mm. They can operate all day. I could be in meetings strategically all day. Yes. And at the end of the day or the next morning, we can regroup, share notes and it, it, it just it makes everybody feel like they have a, a sense of ownership over the work and yeah. uh, and then they grow they they become the next generation of leaders Please. and if i don't have to be there to lead does that free me up for a promotion sure yeah oh, oh yeah. yeah uh yeah yeah, like, yeah yeah go ahead no i know i i love that analogy and you know and I, and I even as you were talking i was even reflecting on my own sort of leadership journey and i recall um, uh, you know, the, you know, first I was playing the leadership role. I was I, so up in that point, I was very hands-on part of the organization. I was doing different things, and then I was playing this leadership role where I didn't have to be hands-on. Maybe being hands-on helped give me some context to under, better understand the work, which is fine. But I still struggle with not doing it and putting in other people's hands to say, "No, no, 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 you got this." And I, 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 and on reflection, I struggled a lot. 
because we were tripping over each other. We were doubling back. I was quite frankly getting in the way. I recognize that these people are doing a better job than I was anyways, but it took a, it took a while to get there. But I do remember when I landed there, I was like, this feels good. I've got all this time on my hands. Uh, what like that's what it literally felt like. But th th that's okay because you've empowered the people. And, and again, it was set up that they knew where to find if they needed something. And I was, you know, quick to be there. I got you. What do you need? But it was to understand what the role was because my role had changed. And 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 quite frankly, it probably took me about a year to understand that. Yeah. Oh yeah. Because it's a big big shift when you get a move up like that. Um, I think the one thing that helped me really embrace delegation was uh it was in the most shocking way to say it it was the time when i was in the army and i got my entire platoon killed and you're like what oh, exactly now, <laughs> now uh, it, it wasn't an actual combat it was a training scenario fortunately okay, uh, okay. so i was yeah. in a school called primary leadership development course so it's yeah. the the course that you have to go through when you first become a sergeant in the army they've since renamed it um but all through the 30-day course, uh, my cadre, my instructors, recognized and noticed that I had the hardest time delegating in terms okay. of, you know, when I was in charge of the platoon, I felt obligated that I had to do guard duty with everybody else in the rotation. Uh, because there was always that middle of the night, 2 or 3 p.m., 3 a.m., one-hour time block that everybody hated. And, you know, for whatever reason, to be liked to feel bad for everybody else, I would assign myself the 3 a.m. spot or the 2 a.m. spot because that's the block that interrupts your sleep. You know, you're in bed at 10 p.m. Everybody's getting up at 5 a.m. But if you have to do guard duty at 2, that cuts that in half and good luck going back to sleep. You know? Right. So nobody nobody liked that 2 a.m. spot. So Mr. Benevolent, Benevolent Leader Me would give myself the 2 a.m. slot. Right. And my instructors always gave me a hard time. They said, Sergeant Dugan, your job isn't to do their job for them. Your job is to make sure they're taken care of their meals, right. their money, their mail. Yes. That they have the training, the preparation needed to carry out the mission and that they carry out the mission. You've got the bigger picture responsibility. Yes. yes. Which means you need to pull yourself out of that foxhole, put somebody in who's capable, and you got to make sure all the foxholes are filled. And you can't do that when you're in the middle of fighting yourself. And I was like, but I make my own role. I dig my own hole. And they're like, yeah, 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 whatever. You do that too. But right, you don't right. do it on the front line. You do it further back where you can see the whole perimeter. Well, we go and do our final field training exercise. It's, it's uh, I think, four or five days in the woods as if we're out in and more. Yeah. Uh, so we got a perimeter. It's got three sections. I'm in charge of one section. I'm first okay. or first platoon leader, first platoon leader. And I've got my section. And there's a real world ammo shed that we've got to guard as well because okay. we've got blank ammunition. We've got yep. fake grenades, all that stuff. So we got to make sure people don't just sneak in and try to steal that. Right. Well, there's a two way. Actually, I, this wound up being stand two, which is sunrise, the, the hour before sunrise. Everybody's up. Yep. Yep. Well, I figured I'll let everybody sleep in. I'll let my first squad leader kind of lead stand to for this last day. I'll go do guard duty at 4 a.m. Okay. <laughs> so I go to this guard shed. It's myself. It's one other soldier. And then one of my cadre, one of my instructors, Sergeant okay. Jorge. 
Sergeant Jorge, uh, combat veteran, infantry guy, uh, staff sergeant. Uh, he knows his stuff. Like he's done like multinational missions, that kind of thing. And he sees me and he's like, aren't you the platoon guide? I said, yes, Sergeant, I am. He goes, okay. Well, you're in here and I've told you multiple times you shouldn't be in here. I'm like, okay, well, I'm here, Sergeant. <laughs> and, and then he just starts talking with us about Army life, leadership as a sergeant, all that stuff. And I'm like, I got mentorship for an hour. This is cool. I'm glad yeah. I signed up for this. Yes. What I didn't know was that he radioed his buddies and said, Sergeant Dugan's in here. Uh, and they're like, the platoon guide? And they're like, yeah, okay, we got him. So while I'm in there getting mentored, uh, the other instructors hit one end of my platoon and they wipe out the entire line oh, of soldiers, wow. every foxhole killed in their sleep. Basically. Wow. They get halfway through, they decided to start lobbing gr fake grenades and machine gun fire. <laughs> I hear none of this. Uh, they wipe out everybody. And finally they're like, where's the platoon sergeant? Where's the platoon sergeant? Right. right. And, and my guys all in a panic because I gave them no information. Yep. Said, uh, things like, oh, he's taking a dump in the woods or, um, I think he threw off his uniform, said, screw this and ran away that way. <laughs> and another guy goes, the enemy got him. And right. they're like, who said that? And it turns out the smart aleck at the end is the one who took my spot. Uh, well, the 5 a.m. shift comes into the guard shack or the mm -hmm. ammo shack and they mm -hmm. see me and they're like, hey, Sergeant Dugan, you're in here. I'm like, yeah, I am. Why? You haven't heard? No. First platoon got killed and you got fired. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> I woke up Sergeant so-and-so to take uh, over and do no, stand no, to. No, that's funny. And, and they're like, oh yeah, him. He was the most sound asleep. Uh, he was knocked out. We had to kick him to wake him up after we all died. Uh, no. And I was like, oh man. And so Sergeant Jorge, he's like in the back of the room shaking his head. And he's like, I told you, Sergeant Dugan, I told you, you're the platoon Sergeant. Your responsibility is wake up all your squad leaders. Yes. But you woke up the one who was notorious for falling back asleep. Right. Now they're all dead. And that is on you. Because we've told you multiple times, your job is to make sure that whole line is up right. at sunrise when you're most yes. likely to be attacked. Yes. You have to delegate. It's not you being lazy. It's not you being a power tripping, controlling person. You delegate so that the mission carries on, so that everybody's taken care of, so that everybody grows mm. and knows what the mission is overall. And it, as soon as you embrace that, whether it's in the army or out of the army, yep. you're going to be great. Um, I got to hear that four times from four different instructors over the uh, 12 mile road march gotcha. <laughs> on the way back. Uh, so that, that sank in uh, quite heavily. And I never forgot it, of course, because I'm telling it almost 20 years later. So. No, well, yeah, it's it's, yeah. it's a very important story and a good one that resonates you with know, obviously. But I think there's some really key lessons and just understanding again. The, a big a big part of it is just understanding what your role is, yeah. and then and, and once you're clear on that, you know, I think everything else sort of falls into place. Not perfectly always, but certainly you have a better indication of where things can go. Uh, uh, but so role identification, I think, is a big one. Trust, you, you, you got to have trust. You know, I'm a big basketball fan and I heard, uh, you know, there was a, a team at the NBA, NBA uh, uh, trade deadline. Um, there was a, a trade that they were wanting to make and they went to the scene, you know, the top guy for him to approve the deal. Uh, they reached out to him. He didn't answer because he was asleep. Oh. Trade deadline passed and deal couldn't have been made. So whereas whereas if you're in an organization where you trust, 
and everyone understands, then if he's sleeping and great, enjoy your nap. You know, the, organi- yeah. the, the work of the organization doesn't stop, right? So I think trust is another really big one in that. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, and it takes a leader who's comfortable with somebody coming up to them the next morning and saying, hey, I just invested $20 million and here's how and why. That's right. <laughs> and there, chances are if they're a trusting leader or owner of a company, they'll be like, great. What's the plan to recoup that investment? Oh, yeah. Right. Merchandising, we're going to make this sure. much. Merchandising, yep. ticket yep. sales are going to go up. We're going to make up this much. We're going to actually win championships. That's going to yes. increase sales. Yes. We'll make more than that back. Oh, yeah. All right. Thumbs up. Let's go. There we go. There we go. Uh, and so, yeah, what's the plan in case it turns out this guy is not living up to the expectations? And it's like, yeah. well, we can cut our losses at five million or you know, right. whatever it is. And, and and so having that plan, but having that trust that you can create that decision, have your backup plans and so on, um, is a very big part of not just serving leadership, but what they call transformational leadership. Yeah. Uh, I remember, you know, in any team I've led where I started to get this. Right. Like, I didn't want people to just bring me the problem. Because if I'm making all the problem-solving decisions, yeah, nobody on my team is exercising that muscle in their brain. Which yes. Nobody's preparing for the next level in their own careers. Right. Uh, but they're going to build that entitlement. Where's my promotion? Uh, I failed in preparing you for the next level. That's right. Uh, so what I love to do is have my people come to me and say, hey, here's a problem. Mm-hmm. Here are options A, B, and C, and here are the implications of each one. I think we should go for this one. What do you think? And so they're solving the problem. They've identified the problem. They're solving the problem. They're giving me solutions to choose from, yes. which makes it easier on me because now I've got three options to play with. And then I could give them additional information that might be missing. And then we lock in the best decision, but it's one that they were involved with. They get to run and execute and I get to go back to doing what I was doing. And um, for me, that's the, the best way to, to lead anything on a daily basis is you know, empower your people to come up with solutions and yeah. offer those solutions and, and, and no like power check of like, well, look here, you know, like I, I once had a leader who did that. Like they brought me in as the expert on training development. Yep. I had an idea to develop a, uh, or improve a program that was good, but it could be yep. better. Yep. And the response was, you gotta understand that people smarter than you came in before you and created this. Right. And I was like, wow, right off the bat. Like it, it came from a place of, I got to put Jerry in his place. Yeah. Yeah. To keep him in check. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, ah, I've only been on the job for less than a month. I could go home. You know, like, and, and I told the guy that I'm like, look, you brought me in because of my expertise in this area. I humbly submit to you my recommendation based on my observations, based on feedback from the people who are the customers and on the team. And I can always move back to where I was. I'm okay. If, if you don't think I'm up to the caliber of what you've hired me into, I'm okay with letting that go and going back home and back to the company I enjoyed being in. Yeah. That was like in the first month. And I was just like, screw this guy. Like he <laughs> already told me people smarter than me. Right. Um, right. 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 Put you in your place. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And then I later learned people smarter than me meant him. <laughs> I was like, wow, yeah. this was something he designed. And I came and told him it's not working. Right. Right. Why it's not working, how we can improve it. And he was personally insulted. And it was gotcha. more important for him to put his his bruised ego back to its full position at yep. the expense of my sense of well-being right. and, and my expertise that he had to do.
do that. And I was like, wow. Yeah. And he didn't just do it to me. He did it to others. And, and sure. Yeah. Yeah. So the guy deals with a lot of turnover, obviously, and still hasn't figured, figured it out. out. Right, yeah. right, right, right. Yeah. No, man. It's funny. Like what even, I mean, that, that example certainly is, 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 is an important one. Uh, we talk about empowering people. Like if you bring it full circle back to when we started this conversation on impact, uh, th- those are some really impactful measures and and why and, and why i think it's so fitting for this podcast is we we talk about you know how you live bold and audacious and all the great things you can do by being yourself and i think by doing those things that's when you can have the biggest impact make the biggest difference and make the biggest mark in life yeah oh big time uh, yeah i I have yeah. to add to that. that that's it. <laughs> no, I, I, yeah. no, just I, I do I do try to bring it back because I think it's significant and 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 it matters. And so uh, you know, the leaders that you you work with certainly uh it's it's great to hear um that that, that they're embracing, right? Because again, so much of the leadership framework was command and control, and I'm the boss and you follow. And and as we see that shift in the workplace, um, it's great to see that uh there's more collaboration and yes. there's more about hey. How do we figure this out together? So appreciate that. Jerry, this has such been such an, an awesome chat. And, and I so, so appreciate you uh, for, for hanging out here with me. Um, if, our, if our listeners wanted to learn more about you or, or the work you do or connect with you, where, where could we send them? Oh, man, there are two places you can go. Yep. Uh, if you're interested in having me speak at an event or do a workshop for your organization, uh, my company is called BTR Impact, and you can find that at btrimpact.com. Uh, it'll show you the speaking topics I have, the yep. workshop topics I have available, all kinds of buttons to set up a discovery call with me. Uh, and then on the flip side, if you're just interested in my podcast, upcoming book, you just want to get more content for yep. free, that's okay too. Uh, go to beyondtherut.com, and that's yep. where all that is housed. And so BTR Impact is Beyond the Rut Impact. That's where that comes from. Yeah, so- yeah, yeah. Let's put a plug in for the podcast. I know we started this conversation talking about podcasts, but Beyond the Rut podcast is also uh, something that uh, you invest a lot of time, energy, and yes. we, we and we talked about that off the top. How how much energy and time we put into it? But uh, just quickly, what you know, what it's about, and 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 what uh, you how how you try to help listeners. Yes. Uh, so Beyond the Rut podcast is a uh, it was a weekly show. I guess now it's semi weekly, uh, <laughs> where I share encouraging stories and practical advice to help pull listeners out of whatever rut they feel they may be in, in the areas of their faith, their family, or their career, and um, to live a life they feel is worth living. So, you know, we talked earlier about pursuing your own dream instead of somebody else's. Yes, yes. That's what that show is about. Pursue your Mm. dreams, but don't lose your faith, don't lose your family or your health or career in the process. Yeah, yeah, that's a good one. And you know what I find really interesting is whether it is the, you know, faith, family, health, or career, the things that you can, the thing that we individually can do, it can apply to all of them, right? Yeah. It's it's not like you've got to be a different type of person or do a different type of thing because you're working in this area. It's 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 the universally applicable, really. So yes. I love that. I love that. Thank you for sharing that. Jerry Lynn, this has been awesome. Thank you for, for hanging out with me on this uh, edition of the Audacious Link Podcast. And, and again, congratulations on the work you've done thus far. And uh, keep up the great work. Thank you, Adley. I appreciate it. All right. Mm-hmm. 
back we are here on the podcast. I want to send my thanks and appreciation uh, to Jerry for stopping by for the great leadership convo. You know, I think your experiences lend well to the topic of leadership and, and your stories, particularly those from your military experiences, uh, were great as well. So I thank you. Thank you for sharing. Uh, to, to our listeners, I encourage you to connect with Jerry and be sure to check out his podcast, Beyond the Rut. I sir, I'm here. I hear I'm hearing that he's going to have a certain audacious guest uh, in the not too distant future. <laughs> uh, wink, wink. By the way, <laughs> you know when I think back to my conversation with Jerry, I really appreciated so much of what he had to say. But if there's just one thing that I take from my chat with him, it would have to be this: to fully grasp the concept of servant leadership and what it means. We must first do away with our understanding of what we think leadership is and recognizing its commitment is to putting others first. Servant leaders value people for who they are, not just for what they bring to the organization and, and their skills. It's really, it's, it's them as individuals. And humility helps servant leaders recognize that it's not all about them and the things that they accomplish because things are only can be accomplished through others. They seek to understand before being understood, and they do so by listening. They give their trust to their people and regularly demonstrate care through their actions. You know, if, if you look throughout the scriptures, uh, there are numerous examples uh, that, that demonstrate how Jesus lived his life engaging people. You know, he served them in, in such a way that their lives changed by simply his encounter with them. And with the most powerful example of him washing uh, the feet of his disciples. He essentially put the others and their needs first before his own. And that's audacious. We've come to the end of another episode of the Audacious Living Podcast. Sadly, we reached the end, uh, but all good things do have to come to an end eventually, as does this episode. As always, i got to send out a thanks and shout out uh, to our amazing listeners, all those lovers of audaciousness. Uh, you are the folks that help keep this thing going, so I want to take this opportunity to say thank you. Uh, if you're listening on your favorite podcast listening platform, I encourage you to uh, to leave us a rating, a five-star review. would be fantastic. A comment would be simply, simply wonderful. Until next time, stay safe, be kind, show love to one another, and be audacious. You've been listening to the Audacious Living Podcast, hosted by Audley Stevenson. If you enjoyed what you heard, be sure to like, subscribe, and share. Until next time, be audacious.